0: ASMR is like when people like to listen to people chew there's like whole YouTube videos of like just people chewing into a microphone or like crinkling paper Mm -hmm. I know it doesn't sound nice to me Um, you know what would sound even better is if you turn on your microphone Mm -hmm. hang on the switch that says on or off I'd start there it's on the back it's on the back flip it yes right there
1: no can you hear me yes I can hear you okay
0: Before we begin, I want to thank the Norden Group for their support of the podcast. As always, the Norden Group encourages you to ask yourself, why do portfolios of large institutions and endowments and pensions look so different than portfolios of high net worth individuals or families? The philosophy at the Norden Group is that once you have seven or eight figures worth of investable assets, you should invest your portfolio like an institution. This approach leads to complete transparency. Now, some key questions to ask yourself are, what do I really own? How much am I paying in fees? What costs am I paying that aren't disclosed? Would I be better off in a low-cost index fund? The Norden Group conducts what's called a portfolio audit, which can uh, reveal these and other important details. To learn more, go to thenordongroup.com. Investment advisor services offered through Town Square Capital LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission, nor does it indicate that the advisor has attained a particular level of skill or ability. Town Square is not affiliated with any other named entity.
1: So this weekend was just incredible. We had um, an epicish ride in Park City. And let me just say, this was absolutely the most beautiful dirt
0: I have ever ridden on. It was just about perfect. It really was just like, like excellent, excellent dirt. The weather was perfect. Temperature was perfect.
1: Life was just good. It was, was just beautiful.
0: Are, are we feeling fall? I was feeling kind of fallish. Oh, yesterday. absolutely. We're, totally we're,
1: fallish. It was wet. You
0: know, at the we first ride, we were like, oh, I'm feeling there's some fall in the air, right? Yeah, no, fault yeah. It's yesterday was awesome. If you if you missed out yesterday, you really missed out yesterday. It was awesome. You
1: know, those long rides, I, I think they're just magical for so many reasons and you know, early on I just noticed the kids that were doing those rides just somehow seemed to get faster. So, if if you're missing out on those, it's just an awesome opportunity, but um it was it was supposed to be an endurance paced kind of zone 2 ride, and I'm using air quotes because it was funny. I was looking at my training peaks after, and I spent just about as much time in Zone Six as I spent in Zone Two, which is power. The
0: so. which is the mark of a successful endurance ride. No, like if you're spending that much time in Zone Six, you definitely did endurance right?
1: But it was it was just so much fun. Oh, yeah, beautiful
0: day. Awesome stuff. If you missed out, uh, any Nike action from yesterday? I, I probably.
1: I, th- I think. Um, I think there were some races. I, I think like, okay.
0: but. If you raced yesterday, shout out to you. I'm sure you did great. There are too many of you for us to keep track of. We're mostly going to talk about I the ones that we Cara go I think
1: Christensen from Richfield raced yesterday. Okay. Th- I think that's the only one I'm aware of. So
0: Whoop, whoop. Shout out. Yeah. Shout out there. Good good job yesterday. Have no idea how it went. Um, you could have won or lost, and I unfortunately don't know. Because there are six leagues right now, so, or four, and there's going to be six next year. I don't know. What is it? Yeah, there's too many. Um, I care about you all, but not enough to keep track. Um uh, before we jump in, we had two really good tech questions. Um, uh, dive into those really quick. The first was a really interesting one. It was how often do you actually need to service your shock? Um, and your shock or your fork? So the question said shock. I'm going to talk about both. Okay. Uh, the honest answer is like really need to, like never. and And unfortunately, most people never do. And your bike will still work. You can still pedal it up a hill and take it back down. But if you paid any amount of money for your bike, you paid more than $1,000 for your bike, um, I really think you owe it to yourself to follow the manufacturer guidelines for servicing suspension. Because wouldn't you agree, like, most people do not service their suspension. Most people buy a new bike before they service their, their suspension. That is something that I don't think is uncommon at all. Um, so the short answer is, and, and most of you know, um, if you don't know that there are kind of two 800 pound gorillas in the suspension world, there's rock shocks, which is a subsidiary of SRAM. And then there's Fox, which does a whole bunch of suspension stuff outside of bike too. Um, so, you know, uh, for both forks and shocks, rock shocks recommends every, uh, 50 hours of riding you do a basic service. And for the fork in particular, that means like taking the lowers off, replacing the seals, doing, um, you know, like doing a fluid replacement, um, and then and Fox says more like 125 hours of ride time. So put that into perspective for us. So to put that into perspective, that is not a very long amount of time for RockShox. Fif- like we there are riders on our team who ride 50 hours a month. So like technically, if you have a, a RockShox fork, you should be servicing it at least probably every two months. Um, likely more. And, and this is something that I've observed is that RockShox forks in particular have a tendency to get really sticky and gummy and kind of hang out halfway through the suspension. Like it takes a pretty big hit for it to actually kind of engage and, and give you any kind of cushion. Um, my observation is that Fox forks are kind of set and forget. Like you really don't have to service your Fox suspension all that much. I still think you should service a Fox fork or shock at least yearly. Um, but next time you're in the market for a bike, and this is coming from somebody who like I'm a fan of rock shocks. I think their stuff's good. I think it feels really good. It just needs a lot more care. Like if you don't think you're the kind of person who's actually going to follow through and service your suspension all the time, I would probably lean towards a bike that comes with Fox. Is it fair?
1: Oh, I agree. Because we've owned several bikes that have rock shocks and, and several that have had fox and we tend to kind of almost just ignore the Fox shocks and they just always seem to feel pretty good. But the Rock shocks, you do have to service them. Thing is, is right after you service them, they feel almost better than new. And it's just such an awesome difference. So um,
0: really quick, for those of you who are curious, I believe Cannondale recommends 100 hours uh, is their service interval. In, in my experience, I would err definitely on, this, on the side of doing that more frequently. Lefty forks also have a tendency to kind of get sticky and gummy. Um, the kind of basic lower leg service isn't dramatically hard to do. I think if you are a, a moderate to intermediate kind of mechanic, I think you should probably learn how to do it on your own. I don't think you need to take it to a shop for every single service. Like for the big stuff, I still would. Um, but if you have a RockShox fork, you should probably learn how to replace the seals on it. And seals aren't expensive. What, like 25, 30 bucks?
1: Yeah. And, and it takes, like, it takes me about an hour to replace the seals and to add the fluid to the lower leg. And, and I'm an amateur mechanic, but it does, it feels really good.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. No, and, and again, like, like, and I'll, I'll go back to the point of the beginning, you never have to do this. It's never a safety issue, but I know so many people who will shell out eight or nine grand for an awesome full suspension bike and then never service the suspension. At that point, get a hardtail. And that's an honest, that's another perk of hardtails is that like, you know, I mean, you still have a fork on there, but you don't have a shock. And and like, you know, there's a kind of simplicity there. There's something to be said for it. But um, please service your suspension. Just please do it. I've, I've, I've taken so many bikes for just a ride around the ride, like bikes that'll, or bikes at a race or whatever, and I'll just kind of feel the fork. And I'm like, this is like a $10,000 bike, and the fork feels like garbage. You so know?
1: is the interval for the fork the same as the shock?
0: I wondered that. Technically, yes. I couldn't yeah. find any guidance that would give me a, a difference between the two.
1: So basically, if you service one, you should probably just might as well do both at the same time.
0: Probably. Um, my I kind of feel like shocks, I, f- I personally feel like forks need service more than shocks. I think shocks seem to work better longer. And that's
1: that was what I would have guessed, too, just Which is based not on experience.
0: Because shocks do seem to take more of a beating, though. I don't know. I the short answer is like this is all available online. Um, but like as as a practical bit of of, of advice, um, if you have Rock Shocks, you cannot ride a Rock Shocks fork all year without servicing it. You just don't do it. Like and and a lot of people do. Um, you know, it's like it, maybe once a month is overkill. Maybe once every two months is overkill. You you should do it a couple times a year if you have Rock Shocks. I, I think. Um, second question, and this is kind of a tricky one. Um, What is the ideal head tube and seat tube angle on a cross country bike? And this is like a really controversial question. The kind of number that I settled on is like, I think 67 to 68 is is a good middle ground. There are some XC bikes out there that are slacker than that right now. I think that's a little overkill. Um, Like I've, I've ridden the new Epic with a hundred mil fork and that is about as slack as I'd ever want to go. The risk with going too slack is that it just kind of like feels long and ponderous on the climbs. It doesn't feel as good when you stand up. Um, if you were doing like a flat short track race or something like that, it's not, I feel like it's not going to corner as well on the flip side. Um, they're like all the way up to 2021 Niners cross country bike. The RKT had like a 71 degree head tube angle with hundred mil fork and that's way too steep. So like you know, I know that 67 to 68 isn't that precise an answer, but I think if you're if I was going to design a bike, it would probably be probably be in that sort of range.
1: So, what does like a scalpel or a spark
0: have? So, that's a tricky one. The new spark is on the slack side, I believe. The new spark is like 67, the old spark, I want to say, was like 69, 69 and a half. Um, the scalpel, I believe, the current non SE scalpel is. 67 and a half. Um, but the scalpels that are really common, like the 2018 to 2020 ones, I think off the top of my head, those were like 69 too. They were, they were on the steep side. Um, so yeah, it's and, and like it's not the end of the world if your bike doesn't have the ideal head tube angle, but I always t- say that like head tube angle is a good way to sum up the geometry of a bike generally. There are a thousand different angles and lengths that make a difference, you know. Like seat tube angle, I'm not as concerned about, you know, like if a bike has a progressive slack head tube angle, it will probably have a steep seat tube angle and vice versa. Um, you know, My short answer on that is like, I think around 75, 76 degrees. Um, theoretically steeper seat tube angle means better pedaling position, um, but it can also make the bike feel weird in other ways. Um, so yeah, like I think most of the bikes that you're gonna see around these days, like the new bikes have geometry that I think is fine. You know, We could really nitpick. If you're shopping for an older used bike, like. And if you found a really good deal on a Niner or RKT, I'd say, like, it's a sweet bike, it's light, it pedals well, but, like, the 71-degree head-tube angle is a major knock against it. So if you're shopping for a used bike and you're, you're looking for something maybe from 2015 to 2019, do know there are bikes out there that have what I would consider to be unacceptably steep head-tube angles. Different for hardtails. I feel like with a hardtail, I don't mind if it's a little steeper. But, yeah, for a full-suspension cross-country race bike... 69 is as steep as I would ever buy today. And ideally, like I said, I'd want to be more like 67, 68. It's
1: funny, whenever people ask me what my head tube angle is, I can never remember. Like, 7?
0: I don't (laughs) know. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, not not a huge deal. If people want me to get more granular about this, we can. We could do a whole episode about it that Dan wouldn't care about at all. But, you know, I sit through a lot of boring nutrition lectures, so maybe you you deserve it.
1: Are you still talking?
0: I am still talking, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So um, main topic today isn't boring, I think is actually pretty interesting. Um, I kind of wanted to title this episode, like how to win races. Cause I think that's kind of like the, the end goal of, of what we're, of, of the topic today is like, if you can nail this, this is how professionals like pick a race and decide, like, you know, I'm going to win worlds this year. I'm going to win this, my home world cup. You know, this is, this is something you should pay attention to. Yeah.
1: Okay. I've, I've actually just been super, super excited about this topic. And so we're today, we're going to talk about peaking and tapering. Okay. And one of my pet peeves is when people use these terms interchangeably. Okay. Uh, so they they, they mean two different things, but they pretty much always go together. It's kind of like, salt and pepper peanut butter and jam or something you know they're two totally different things
0: you hear them thrown around in the same sentence a lot but they are are different concepts
1: yeah which is why they have different words for them i think so <laughs> wow we're breaking real ground here folks i promise we have
0: content we're not okay. yeah
1: so 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 just really quick just to kind of give definitions to the, the two terms so peaking is is basically just reaching the maximum amount of fitness that you can given your physiology and given what type of training you've been doing. You're just reaching the, you're just trying to reach the maximum amount of fitness that your body can handle. Okay.
0: Or are getting as close as you can to that maximum, right? As close as you get in a season, maybe.
1: Okay. Yeah. And there's a lot of variables. We'll talk about those, but yeah. So peaking is just trying to get as much fitness as you can and hopefully at a certain time in a certain place. Okay. So that's peaking Tapering. Is when you sacrifice a little bit of fitness to gain freshness, so you can perform better.
0: Pick that apart. So, like, like when you talk about freshness, I think that's that probably is worth defining.
1: Okay. Well, um, so there's there's kind of an old formula: um, fitness minus fatigue equals form, and freshness is kind of like your form. Um, So when when you're doing like like when you're working out and you're training hard like say you have a weekend where you have like two really hard group rides and you do some intervals and you've put like a lot of hours in if you had a race the next day you probably wouldn't have your best race right
0: yeah and and like in the real world like freshness like like i feel kind of crappy today like my legs hurt when i woke up this morning um you know maybe like feel a little dehydrated and stuff is that is that like the actual practical component of freshness um yeah. Yeah. Uh, fresh, I mean,
1: freshness is basically, you're just, your, your fitness and your fatigue is kind of balanced out a little bit. So, so you can perform. Yeah. Cause, cause when you're, you know, when you're working out and, and training it, it makes you tired temporarily, right? You know, and you, you kind of recover from that tiredness relatively quickly while you're waiting for your fitness to catch up. And, And so, so yeah, so tapering is basically just shedding some fatigue, um, so
0: that you can perform better at a given time. This, as always, Dan and I don't share notes before these, this might be a bad segue. Can you be too fresh or like, can you have shed too much fatigue? Is that something we're going to touch on later?
1: You, you actually can. It's, it's a, it's a very, it's a pretty delicate balancing act because, I mean, an extreme example of that would be just not training at all. I mean, you'd be, in theory, really, really fresh, but you'd have, like, no fitness whatsoever. So you're going to be a pretty terrible racer that day. I mean, the, the whole essence of what we're trying to do here is maximize, like, at a certain point in time, reach our absolute peak fitness, and at that same time come rested and fresh enough that we're going to be able to use that fitness appropriately.
0: And if you just have too much freshness, you're not going to have enough fitness to do well. So it really isn't that like the too much freshness is the problem. It's that too much freshness means that you've sacrificed fitness. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Look at me. Look at me, guys. I'm, I'm, I'm learning right along with you folks. I like that Dan and I aren't sharing notes before this. This is new to me and definitely all this tech stuff I talk about is new to Dan. He has no idea. We'll finish an episode and he's like, wait, really? Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: Or I usually don't even listen
0: when he's talking about the tech stuff. Cause yeah, Dan and I mutually tune each other out. That's the only way that we can deal. Productively together, but yeah. Back to your thing. Sorry.
1: Okay. So I'd like to first talk about peaking, and then after that we'll talk about tapering, and then and hopefully we just kind of establish that the the two just go hand in hand. You, I mean, um. But the thing is, is you can you can peak without tapering, and you can taper without peaking. Okay. So they're not the same word. They don't mean the same thing. So I, I a lot of times hear people say oh, I'm going to peak for this race. And by that, they mean they're cutting down their fitness or they're, they're cutting down some of their training so that they can be fresh. That's tapering, not peaking. So let's first talk about what peaking is. So um, so you really can't start training at the beginning of the season and just in a linear way, just continue to add fitness all season long, right? There's got to be some some hills, some valleys, some peaks some troughs there's periods of your season where you you kind of have to like like start over basically and really and this is a a fair somewhat fairly common number used you can really only build at most about 24 weeks of fitness without having a reset and kind of starting over
0: really quick what what happens if you push over that what happens if you try to do 50 weeks of, of fitness
1: Well, it depends the amount of intensity you're doing and it depends the amount of, um, hours that you're putting in, but, you know, assuming that someone was putting in a decent amount of intensity and and spending a decent amount of hours training, um, once you start to push over that period of time without having a a reset, um, you basically start to either plateau or at worst case kind of overtrain is kind of what starts to happen after that point. So, Our fitness, you know, it it can kind of be rising and it reaches a point where, you know, like it depends on a lot of things like how you're training, but you kind of reach a point where you just can't, where you're just about as fit as you can be given how you've been training and who you are. And, and that's considered a peak. And typically it's kind of a small window of time, you know, usually around two weeks that, that, that you kind of have that level of fitness. And hopefully you can magically time that. So it happens on your important race day. Um, You, you can really only have two peak events per year. Typically, sometimes people might have three, but two is about
0: the most you would normally expect to peak for. What, why is that? Is that just because of that balance, like we talked about before, between like you have to be able to do this much training to actually get a peak? Or, or is, is th- what's like stopping me from doing six peak events this season?
1: Because really between peaks, you know, once you kind of hit your peak, you've got to let your fitness back off a little bit. And you've even have to actually lose some fitness because you need a lot of recovery after a peak.
0: And so you lose that fitness and you have to build it back. And it just takes time. So I, I am curious, and I don't know if this is like an unfair question, but like what is fitness? Where you say like you have to let some fitness go, build fitness up. Like what do we actually mean when we say fitness? Because that's a really, really common word that we bandy about pretty casually. But like what do you mean when you say the word fitness?
1: Okay, that's a really good question. Why are you
0: surprised it's a good question? Of course it's a good question.
1: <laughs> I'm surprised you're even listening. That's no No, so Training Peaks really kind of has defined what fitness means. And it isn't really what I think most people think. I think a lot of people confuse form with fitness and fitness really is just the accumulation of all the work and training you've been doing. So you can be extremely fit, but very slow because the type of work you've been doing has been too much or too intense or something. You've just done a lot of it. And, and so fitness really is, you know, like, um, like in training peaks, they have a chart. I don't know if you're familiar with the performance management chart and there's a blue line that's called your chronic training load, your CTL. It's a very important line to watch. And, and, and basically they just, every time you do a workout, you get a training stress score and those training stress scores are averaged over like a 40 day period and that becomes your chronic training load. That's the blue line in training peaks. And that blue line basically represents your fitness. And you can be extremely, extremely fit, but if you have a whole lot of fatigue, you could be very slow even though you're fit. And in fact, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you actually asked that because um, your performance manager chart is a really, really good way to know how much fitness you can handle Um, because you can kind of like, look at, look at it over previous years and kind of see, you know, this year my blue line got to a hundred or whatever. And I did, I was flying. I was awesome. I'm going to kind of keep shooting for that. Or, you know, my, my blue line, my CTL got up to 110 and I kind of felt overtrained and was kind of heavy and slow. Maybe that was a little bit too much. It's it's a really good way to kind of know when you're reaching the the peak amount of fitness that you can typically handle. So, and, and this is also a really important reason for kind of planning out your season, you know, because your peaks have to be a certain amount of time apart or you really can't, you don't have time to recover after an A event to to kind of start over at some base fitness and then rebuild for a peak. But, you know, but typically you need, so so you need to plan out your season, you know, usually you need like about eight to 12 weeks of base and then six to 10 weeks of building race specific, race specific fitness for your important event. And then you need some time after to recover from that important event. And so you can start over to rebuild for another so, you really have to have your season planned out well so you're not trying to do two A events too close together.
0: What, and I know it's probably personal, but like, what, like, how close together can these peaks be? What's the kind of, you know, let's say I, you know, Jane Doe, the Nike Racer, does an A event on um, May 1st. How long before she can realistically get another high quality peak?
1: Well, so do the math for me. So, you'd really want a, let's say at least a week and a half after the A event. So we'll just say a week. And then you'd want to kind of go back to base for a couple weeks. So that's about three weeks. And then six weeks is probably the minimum amount of time to build up another peak. Usually you can get your second peak quicker than you can your first.
0: So another follow-up question, is doing one peak a season a good idea? Can you get a higher peak? Or is it one of those things where like, you may as well do two and then it's not really any benefit to just focus on one like is it more than two peaks is hard and you there's no reason to do less than two peaks or so i think a lot of people would disagree with me on this
1: but i am a big i'm a big fan of doing two peaks because i think i think one you're either you if you know if you're only going to try to do one peak event during the year you're either going to spend so much time doing base that you kind of have diminishing returns on your base training. You know you're just doing base training for too long that you're really not progressing. Or people tend to just start building and racing for too long of the season that they'll ultimately end up showing up at their a event already kind of overcooked a little bit. So I think it's better to plan to plan two peaks into a season if you're going to have a long season.
0: What's like the counter arguments are there people who would argue to just that you should just do one peak or that you can productively just do a single peak
1: I, I think a lot of people almost kind of think of it that way that it's just something that you do once a season um, but I, I think it's better and, and I think it really just depends on when you're gonna start cycling you know if you've got another sport that you're doing until June then yeah you're only gonna need one peak but if you start in like March or a lot of people even, during the winter, I think it's good to plan two and sometimes even three peaks. Uh, An interesting side note that we might just want to throw out here. A lot of pro riders don't necessarily ever even try to peak. Peaking is kind of almost more of an amateur type thing because a lot of pro riders just get paid to always be in pretty good
0: form. And this is especially true on the roadside, you know, like if Quickstep signs Tim DeClerc to be a domestique, they don't need Tim DeClerc to be at his A ever. They just need him to always be at a B, you know, so you can always pull people who are peaking for A races. But like, you know, if, if you're, if you're Julian Philippe on Quickstep, you'd better believe you're doing peaks, you know? So like, I think most of the people listening to this, would you, would you not agree that like most of the people listening to this should at least try to do some training with peaks and play with it a little bit, you know?
1: Well, yeah. And that's the thing you're going to peak r- you're going to kind of peak regardless. You know, you're going to reach a point where based on what type of training you're doing, you're not going to get any faster than that. And so you might as well try to time that at like a really important race like nationals or, or state championships or region championship or, um, you know, and you, you really try to kind of plan your season around that. So hopefully your peak fitness shows up at the right
0: time. And, and just out of curiosity, like what's, I guess that's where all questions come from, huh? That was dumb. Um, but like, c- can a peak last two weeks? You know, can I have one Saturday, Like, can I, can I basically get two races in one peak or is that usually not feasible? Uh, yeah, you really can't, once you're kind of at your
1: peak, usually you don't spend a lot of time there, like maybe two weeks is kind of what they typically say. A lot of that has to do with if you're tapering, um, which we're kind of talking about next. But like when you're tapering, you're, you're not working as much. You're not building fitness. You're kind of resting more. And so you kind of naturally lose fitness as you taper. So, so typically, peaking is something that um, it, it's a pretty limited amount of time. And, and really, when you reach your peak fitness, once you get beyond your peak fitness, you know, it's a peak. Once you kind of get the top of the peak, you go down the other side. Once you're kind of going down the other side, that's basically what overtraining is. And so you naturally would want to not spend very much time there.
0: So another question, I, I'm uh, training peaks comes up a lot. We've mentioned training peaks because they've, they've defined the terms. This is how we track it. Is there an easy way to get quality peaks and, and like really intentional training without using training peaks?
1: Yeah, it's called luck. Um, I mean... Really, th- I think it's really important to plan out your season so you don't start building too early so you know when to start focusing on intensity. Make sure you get enough time you know, your, in, in your base training. Make sure you're dis- distributing your, your intensity appropriately. Um, I think it's it's not accidental. Uh, you know, it takes, it takes some skill and planning to, to really time
0: these things well. Mm-hmm. I mean,
1: sometimes people get lucky.
0: Um, and I suppose if your goal is like I want to be strong during the NICA season, that's probably a vague enough goal that you could pull it off. But like, if you want to target nationals or if you have some other race that, or like, hey, you know, um, Eagle Eagle Mountains my home race or whatever. Like, I want to, I want to win that. You know, like you probably, you probably can't do that without, without, and that doesn't have to be a training peaks, I guess. But like, you can't really do that without in very intentional, data driven sort of approach, right? Well, yeah.
1: I mean, you, you can, if you kind of just rest up for your, for certain races and, and, you know, and and I mean, some people just have enough fitness that they can do no wrong. You know, there's always those people too. One thing that when you asked that question, it kind of made me think something I should point out is that not all races are created equal. I mean, you've probably heard the term that there's a races, B races and C races. Right. And, um, you know, like a C race is probably just like it's a race that you really don't care about, which I don't think really exists for high school age racers. I mean, I show up to races I don't care about at all. I'm just like paying to to do a bike ride. Um, C races are races you just don't care about at all. You don't. You just train right through them. B races, I would say your I cups and most of your your NICA races, other than state champs, I would treat those as B races. And those races you just you kind of train through them, but you, you maybe take a couple of days easy before the race. So you show up with a little bit of freshness. So you're not totally, totally fatigued from your previous training. You rest up a little bit for those, but not a ton. And then your A races, those are the ones that you really try to time your, your peak fitness for. And those are the ones that you'll taper for, which we'll be talking about more in a second.
0: And, and the two kind of common races that we see people around here the, the youth athletes at least target are, um, point or, um, not points, point, um, uh, state champs and nationals, right? Like those are the two most common, um, sort of like peak dates. So like what, you know, given that, you know, uh, nationals is usually kind of in the middle of the summer and then, um, state champs is re- relatively late in the season for mountain biking. Like what for, for Jane Doe, the Nike racer, walk me through very briefly what her year should look like to hit those two peaks
1: and we actually did a podcast on that we kind of talked about am
0: i already forgetting podcast episodes that we've done we're only
1: 10 into it and wow. we did a, a nika's to nationals
0: that's okay yeah forget about that then yeah go refer to the nika to nationals podcast if you'd like to you know the answer to the question that i just asked and i'll give it to you um, uh, but but like uh i guess does it change like does point to point require a different sort of peak than a Nike race because it's much longer? If you want to peak for a cross race, is there any difference there? Or is fitness fitness?
1: No. Well, yes, yes, and no. Um, you know, aerobic fitness is aerobic fitness, and there's different. It comes in. There's different ways to achieve a similar result because you're really just building an engine. A lot of people put an over importance on specificity where um, building aerobic engine you build a bigger aerobic engine. And if you show up with a big aerobic engine, you're going to do awesome, but you do peak differently for point to point than you would, you know, than you would for like a Nike state champs. Um, you know, is it one of the general rules of training is that as you get closer to your target event, your training needs to look more like that event. Um, and so you really wouldn't be doing a lot of like sprint intervals before point to point, you know, or you the, the training you do towards point to point is more kind of like sweet spot, muscular endurance type climbing. And so, um, your, your specificity does increase as you get closer
0: to your event. So, so given, I I understand, um, peaking now a little more when you say tapering, what is tapering actually? Like what does tapering look like? And then what's like the actual dictionary definition?
1: So, so we're going to move on to tapering then tapering is Intentionally giving up some of your fitness to gain some freshness to improve your performance.
0: Is tapering different than like taking Thursday and Friday off before you race on Saturday? Is that a taper or is that not really what a taper is?
1: And that it kind of does the same thing, but that's that's a short, really short period of time. That's just to gain a little bit of freshness. So tapering usually ranges in time. Like if you do some research on tapering, you'll find people recommend anywhere from a month long taper to down to a week. And it really kind of depends on like what, what event you're doing, what um, your, your training status, you know, if you have a ton and a ton of fitness, you might want a longer taper. If you're, if you really don't have a whole lot of fitness and you're still kind of building, you'd want a shorter taper. Um, You know, tapering for an Ironman would be different from tapering for a track race. Um, interestingly enough, like the, the, the races that need more anaerobic power almost have to have a more aggressive
0: taper. Um, why is that? I mean, that, that seems counterintuitive to me
1: because really our, our like a lot of times when we're, when we're out of shape, our anaerobic abilities increase And because they rely less on our aerobic abilities, you know, so, so highly anaerobic events need almost longer and more restful tapers than like a, than like a, an endurance type event.
0: So let's compare the two extremes like Breck Epic versus a cyclocross race. So your taper for the cyclocross race needs to be more, so you can come into the Breck Epic kind of tired or kind of fatigued and be okay, but you really don't want to do that for the cross race
1: maybe if you want to have a good punch, yeah, you'd need, need to be really, really rested for the cross race. But I really kind of wanted to focus more on what, cause it can get really confusing and, and there's a lot of different theories and information on, on, on tapering, but really from what I've seen, uh, a, a, a good taper for a high school racer is at most about a week and a half. About a week to a week and a half is, is all that the taper needs to be. So that's the duration of a taper, about a week to a week and a half. So just an important principle to understand about tapering is that we build fatigue a lot faster than we gain fitness. You know, so you, you go out and like, do a really, really hard week of training. You do a lot of really hard, hard group rides. You maybe have a midweek race. You have an I cup that weekend. Um, you developed a lot of fatigue that week. You also probably developed some fitness too, but the fitness just shows up a lot slower and, and fitness also has to be layered. You have to do it over and over again for, for the adaptations to take place. Whereas the fatigue just kind of comes and goes quickly. But
0: so this is kind of a click baby question, but like if I'm feeling really good today, what, what like training rides am I feeling good from? Is it a week ago? Is it a month ago? Is it two months ago? Like how long does it, if I have a really good two week block of training, how long until I'm really going to start to feel a difference there? Or is that question like stupid?
1: <laughs> no, it, and it really depends on like, like, workouts that are more high intensity. We get the benefits from those workouts a lot quicker with, with less repetition, um, a more aerobic kind of, um, the aerobic type training that we do takes a lot more repetition and takes a lot more time. And I like to always think of it more as like how many layers do you need to add before you see a difference rather than how much time do you need to wait? so um, but in general you know the, the more the more high the intensity is the quicker we see those adaptations because a lot of those um, a lot of those are more like hormonal and chemical and, and the blood volume is a huge part of it and so we get that type of fitness really really fast comparatively like in just sometimes in just a couple of weeks on the really high intensity stuff um, but we plateau on them really fast too and and if you discontinue that type of work, you lose it really, really quick. So, so yes, um, fitness, but even even like the fastest types of adaptations we, we can make are like within a couple weeks. You know, most of them take months to gain, but on the flip side, they'll take months to lose completely, you know, so. Um, but fatigue, you can gain it. Pre- I mean, you can get like, if you rode point to point Saturday, you would be super, super tired Sunday. Right. You know, but maybe in a week, you know, you'd be recovered from it, you know, and you'd feel better. And so, so yeah, fatigue kind of comes and goes quicker than, than fitness does. So that's why, um, and, and that's the whole point with tapering is you, you reduce the amount of training stress that you're doing in exchange for more freshness. Okay. And you know, and you take a week off of training, you do, you know, you cut down your, your training for about a week. You are going to lose a little bit of fitness, but that little bit of fitness you're going to lose is in, inco- to the amount of freshness that you gain, which is going to make it so you can have a better performance at your race. So one thing that's really important to point out too, is there's a huge difference between like recovery and tapering. So, like the goal of recovery is to, to really, really take a break from your training. So your body has time to heal. Your body has time to make adaptations. Um, you, you know, if you do a rest week, right, you actually kind of come back feeling kind of icky and
0: slow. No, I can, I can attest to this. Like I, I have taken time off before and expected to come back Feeling amazing, and you do not come back feeling amazing. You come back feeling like garbage. You know, I wouldn't do. I wouldn't have a taper be like, oh, I'm going to go on a week long trip to Hawaii, where I'm not going to touch the bike, and I'm going to get back on Friday and race on Saturday. You will feel bad on Saturday, correct? I mean, usually.
1: Yeah, that's probably the worst thing you could do because when you take time completely off the bike, your blood volume levels start to drop. You lose a lot of the fight or flight chemicals that make you so fast, and you know some of the hormone levels change and. You, you know, and and all those things are necessary to recover and to make adaptations, but they will affect your performance in the short term. So tapering is, is different because you're not, you're not trying to take a week completely off the bike. Really what you're doing is you're trying to shed some fatigue while maintaining as much of that high end race fitness as you can. And I almost kind of think of it as like, you know, like with your computer, you know, you can like turn it completely off. And then when you go to start it up again, it takes forever. Or there's kind of like the sleep mode where you can kind of shut it off. And then when you
0: start it up again, it's just like ready to go. But then that's kind of the difference between like, like recovery is, is about a lot of things. Tapering really is just about chasing freshness, right? Tapering is purely for performance. Yeah, Like,
1: in fact, if you did, on the other hand, if you did a recovery week, like you do a taper week, that would be a totally ineffective recovery week. It would be a pointless recovery week. Tapering is strictly to gain temporary performance increases for an important event. Right. So, um, yeah. And and like Joe said, kind of the worst thing you could do is just completely take a week off before your a race. And a lot of times this kind of happens unintentionally, you know, with travel and, And you've got so many other things going on leading up to, you know, you don't, you end up taking off a little more time on your taper than, than you had planned. And it makes you feel kind of flat and rusty. Um, But the goal with tapering is to keep the, keep the motor hot while you, you shed some of your, your fatigue. And you kind of try to strike this perfect balance between, you know, reaching this point at your, the most fitness you can possibly get based on your training and then you want to shed as much fatigue as you can without cooling the motor down too much. And it sounds kind of overwhelming, but really it's, it's pretty simple to do. And I think a lot of people try and overcomplicate it. Um, So how you taper. And if you write anything down, this might be the point where you might want to start writing stuff down. How you taper is first, you know, about a week, to a week and a half before your state championship race, you're going to want to, first, you cut the volume of your rides in half, okay? You you basically, like, if, if you ride for, an, typically you ride for two hours, let's do the math, you're gonna ride for an hour, right, okay? And that's on your, you know, kind of your endurance paced rides. So that's the first thing you do, you cut, the volume of your rides in half. So the second thing that you do is you keep your intensity about the same. Your intensity still should be at about race pace. So when you're doing your intervals, you won't back those down. You will keep them at race pace, but you'll, you'll back down the quantity just a little bit that you do. You don't want these at this point in the season to destroy you at this point in the season you're not going to really gain any new fitness that's going to show up on race day. You're just trying to maintain what you've got and keep the juices flowing and and you're just on standby mode ready to go. And and then the other the other the third part of a taper is you keep the frequency the same. So, you know, for example, like say you've got your weekend ride, this is the week before your Nike, your, your state championship. Say you normally do like a 4-hour endurance ride on Saturday, let's do a two hour ride instead on Saturday. You know, just keep it an endurance pace like you normally do. Um, and then on Monday, say you normally do like a two hour group ride that's endurance pace. We'll just do an hour now. Okay. On Tuesday, you say you normally do like these 10 sets of intervals. We'll keep them at the same intensity, but now you're just going to do eight. Okay. And then on Wednesday, instead of your two hour ride, you're gonna do one hour ride. Thursday, just make it a total recovery day. And then Friday, you're gonna do a few openers. And Saturday, you're gonna race. So you've still got some intensity in during that week. Your motor's still running, but you've shortened some of your rides. So you're gonna have a little bit of added freshness Should and it should make, you know, hopefully you've got, hopefully you've timed everything right. So you're at a, a high level of fitness at this point in the season and with the added recovery with your motor still running, things should be lined up pretty well to have a, a good race.
0: So I've, I've, I've heard like the word openers thrown around a lot and I, I roughly understand what openers means, but like I was always so nervous in NICA or at any race to like do openers because I'm like, oh, I'm gonna make myself too tired. Like what should openers look like on Friday if you're racing on Saturday? Well, it's
1: one of those things you got to really find what works for you. But in general, openers should be just enough to get all of your... So there's a lot of different systems in our bodies that produce our energy. And you really just want all of those to operate the day before your race. You want to get, you like... You know, usually you want to get going hard enough that your legs start to burn because that's like your body shuttling lactate and, and processing that. Um, you want to to kind of feel some of the sensations of race intensity, but then you just want to shut it off, you know? And so these, these workouts should probably be less, well, should be less than an hour. I'd say 45 minutes is good. You should pretty much touch on all your zones a little bit and just enough to, to kind of get you stimulated and ready for tomorrow, but not anything that should need more than a few hours of recovery. And, and then always after openers, always, 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 you just want food ready to consume as soon as they're done because your glycogen stores are
0: just ready to be refilled at that point. So, so is, is it ever effective for people to maybe do a hard ride on, or not a hard ride, but openers on Thursday and then take Friday off? Or should you really be doing openers the day before your race?
1: Well, you know, if you, if you find that openers the openers a day before your race don't work, you could try them on Thursday. I think for most people... Um, resting that Thursday is usually a pretty good idea. You want the openers pretty close to the actual race. I think for most people, the day before is a good thing. I know one of our riders, like, he always does better if he has, like, a short track or a, a short race before his actual race. So, it's really different for for different people. Um, you really just kind of find, you know, like, you have a good race, you pay attention to what you did on that good race and kind of keep going from there
0: like hypothetically when they have like the night crits or something like if you're Justin Williams and you want to your a race for some reason it's like a night crit would you do openers in the morning if you're going to start your race at 8 or 9 p.m. I'm just trying to understand the theory here is it does it need to have like like sleep between openers in the race or so I don't know really because
1: you still do warm-ups before the race too Um, I I think it's just you know you just got to keep your body ready to go and um I don't know if doing them the morning before or the night before. I mean, maybe we should do some experiments to see which is better. But, uh, I, I just know that like, if you didn't do a hard workout until like the Tuesday before, then it might, you know, you're going to, you're going to show up rusty and flat and your legs are going to feel like tree trunks and, and you're going to be in a lot of pain that day. So, so if just a few more things to kind of, uh, talk about like on, on tapering, one thing that's, that's that's interesting to point out is, you know, when, when you're tapering, you're really cutting back your aerobic type fitness, because again, we mentioned that's something you gain really slowly, but you also lose it very slowly, but your higher end fitness, like your, like the type you do with your intervals, it comes and goes quickly. So that's why you do want to maintain those during a taper week.
0: So really quick, like, why wouldn't you do some kind of taper for every single race, or why don't you taper for C races?
1: well you would never you never taper for a c race but but tapering for a b race you the reason you wouldn't do that is because every time you taper you're going to lose fitness and if you have like six races during the year that you taper for that's like six weeks of training that you've lost fitness on and so really the more you taper you 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 know if you're tapering every other week for a nike race you would lose a whole lot of accumulated fitness by the time state championship shows up. And I think a lot of people do this. I think a lot of people rest a little bit too much for their b Niker races so that gradually as the season goes, they're they're losing more and more fitness as the season progresses. Uh, another thing too is taper weeks aren't good recovery weeks. Um, you know, so if you're doing a taper week instead of a recovery week, you're really missing out on recovery because your body isn't really healing itself or you're not really gaining fitness.
0: So, and, and tapering, just so people understand very basically a taper week is harder than a recovery week should be, correct?
1: Absolutely. A recovery week should be extremely, extremely, extremely easy. You should be focusing on rest, um, and your body should be focused on healing. Tapering is more about Resting up a little bit by cutting down some of your volume, but keeping all the high intensity systems kind of primed and ready to go and just striking that balance there.
0: So it's important to understand for folks that like, like tapering and re- tapering and recovery are not interchangeable words. Like you're not going to say like, oh, I'm going to recover before this race. You really should say I'm going to taper before this race, right? Like saying I'm going to recover before this race would imply a level of easiness that's probably not going to help you very much, right?
1: Yeah. You're going to be flat on on your a race. If you, if you have a recovery week right before it. So, um, one thing that I've had, we're going to go back to peaking a little bit because they are, they go hand in hand. I've had a lot of kids that are concerned about peaking early. Have you ever heard of that? Or
0: I I have a little bit. I've, I've heard more in the context of like, Oh, like a retroactive like, oh, I peaked too early and I wasn't good at this race. Almost as like an, like a, like a, an excuse after the fact. Is that something something people ask you about?
1: I hear a lot of people that are concerned that they've peaked early. And I just wanted to talk about that for a little while because I think it's an important concept. Um, so, I think most of the time, what's actually happening, happening when people think that they've peaked early, is they've actually kind of had an unintentional taper. Let me give you an example. Like say they've been training really, really hard all summer and all of a sudden they start going to school and it starts getting darker early. So their NICA team's only riding for an hour and a half instead of two hours. And they've kind of unintentionally reduced their volume. And so, they naturally kind of start to feel a little better and faster because they've freshened up a little bit. And, and so they've, they've almost kind of had an unintentional taper in that part of their season. So later in a few weeks, they start realizing that they were slower than they were a few weeks ago. I think a lot of times that's what happens when people think that they've peaked early. Uh, the other thing that happens too, like we mentioned earlier is they, they just, over taper or they over rest for each Nike race. So they've just kind of lost a lot of fitness throughout the season. I, I think that's probably what peaking early means to a lot of people. Truly peaking early means you're over training. Um, and that would happen if, you know, you started to do your race intensity build fitness about 12 weeks earlier instead of like the eight to 10 that we normally recommend. You know, or or maybe if, you know, you've done too much intensity during your training or your, your training's been too in intensity focused. I mean, those are all reasons that you might peak earlier than, than you would have planned. So this is just a really good reason to have your season planned out and to follow that plan so that when you kind of get to the the later darker months, you're still trying to hit a certain amount of time each night so that that you're not starting to taper unintentionally towards the end of the season and start losing some fitness when you really should still be building it. Um, Most people that, when they talk about tapering, they usually kind of recommend like a a really hard build week right before you start your taper. We really can't do that as Nike racers because you've got like a, a, a B race two weeks before that I still think you need to rest from. And, you know, you would only have a day or two to really build up again before starting your taper. So, um, you really need to be continuing to make sure you're getting enough fitness and enough training in throughout these, these next couple of races so that you'll have something to taper down from. Yeah. So really peaking, if you're actually peaking early, that means you're kind of beginning, your over beginning to overtrain a little bit. And you know, if, if that's truly the case, you're going to need to focus more on rest. You're going to need to work with a coach to make sure you're not anywhere in dangerous territory or anything. But if you truly think you are actually peaking early and didn't just kind of start tapering unintentionally, um, you would just need to focus a little more on, on rest and recovery and freshness than other riders might. Um, one really cool way to tell if if this might be a concern is by you know we mentioned your performance manager chart earlier if if your blue line which represents your fitness is continuing to go up and up and up, yet you're feeling slower than you were a few weeks ago. Um, that could be an indication of some overtraining. If you look at your performance manager chart and notice that your', your blue line, your CTL line is going down slightly, that could mean that you might've been just unintentionally training less than, uh, than you probably should have been. So, uh, just something I think it's important to point out. One thing too, is if you actually are a little bit overtrained, it's interesting because you can actually in this state, you can have extremely, extremely good days, but you'd also have some extremely bad days. So if you think you might be peaking early, you know, reach out to us and we can kind of help you navigate through that a little bit. So I just wanted to talk really quick, just a few things about your A race, because this is something that you've been working really hard all season long for. It's a big deal to everybody. It, it's funny because a lot of people do always do better on B and C races than they do on their actual A race because there's, there's just so much stress and associated with it. Um, a lot of people think they peak the week before because they feel so good the week before, but then they feel like crap at the actual race. And I think a lot of that's just, they, they were mentally fresher and and feeling better the week before. And, you know, their, their level of fitness probably hasn't changed a whole lot between one week and another. It's, it's more psychological, but here's just a few things to kind of maybe point out about your a race, you know, that might be good to keep in mind. The first one is is you've got a big rest coming up. You can really just leave it all out there at this race. You know, it's a race that you can just, just dig deep, give it your all, because you've got a big, huge rest coming up after this. We're going to make you take two weeks off after this race. So just on your A race, just leave it all out there. No matter what, when you race, I'm most happy about your race if I can tell you just left it all out there. And that's when you'll be the most happy, too. Like, no matter how it goes, if you can just know that you gave it everything you've got, you deserve to finish that race happy. And, and bad things happen in racing all the time. But.
0: And, and, like, I don't think you need to finish every single bike race you do throwing up in the grass. Finish your A race throwing up in the grass. You know, like, I think it's mentally healthy for you to just have... A cataclysmically difficult effort every single weekend, but that A race it's okay, and like don't have in the back of your mind like I've got to race a week after this, can't be too tired I've got this training next week, next week your feet will be on the couch and you will be watching Stranger Things, leave it all out there, like do not feel like you need to leave anything in the tank
1: You know, that's that's great, also during during your taper week there's other things you know, because you've you've cut down your volume of training but there's other things that you can do that are super important that will help you out too Um, one is just make sure those glycogen stores, we talked about this a little bit last week. You want to show up to your a race with those glycogen stores just absolutely tipped off. So you want, you want to have plenty of hydration and plenty of carbs leading up to the race, just so you are full of rocket fuel when it's time to go. Another one is just make sure you're getting plenty of sleep sleep, sleep, sleep. It's, you're, you're, you're going to be doing a lot of healing and repair during this because you've backed off your volume a little bit. Um, the magic happens when you're sleeping. So make sure you're getting plenty of sleep, especially during your, your peak week. Um, and, and just some stretching, some foam rolling, some things that can kind of put your, rather than just sitting around stressing about your race, you know, you can do things that can, can, make a positive impact and and occupy your minds a little bit. So this is a good time to just stretch and, and, and foam roll, but don't try any, anything new or crazy. Make sure your bike's good to go a week before. Um, and yeah, you know, you've, you've worked hard, you've got a lot of fitness. And if you can do your taper, right, you're going to be able to like get the most out of that fitness. It's like, you'll be able to actually use it.
0: And like as a general note, really quick, something that I used to do all the time, not just for a races, but for any race is that I would, you know, like um, eat some different food or completely change something before the race because I thought it would serve me better. And even if it would, if I was doing it over the long term, don't throw new food or routines or even like go to bed four hours earlier than you usually would before the race because more sleep is better. I'd say for the most part, try to keep things similar. Don't eat something different for breakfast the day before a race, like vastly different than you normally would. I, you know, if you're eating, you know, fruity pebbles for breakfast every single morning, probably don't do that before the race. But like, if you're about to make some kind of extreme change, I would reconsider it. And and then really quick to kind of wrap things up, if it just run us through like the, the ABCs of how to set up a taper.
1: Okay. So just as kind of a final review, when, when you're, and we mentioned this earlier, but when you're tapering, you're going to want to one, you reduce, you make your ride shorter. Two-hour rides become one-hour rides. That's really easy to remember, right? The second thing is you want to keep your intensity to the same but back off the number of reps you do a little bit. Whenever you're doing, like, workouts during your peak week, you always want to finish these workouts wanting to do more. Like, you know you could do one more but you just held back because you're trying to save it. Um, And then make sure you're working out at the same frequency, like basically every day. And you're almost alternating a hard day with an easy day, hard day with an easy day. And, and ultimately your goal with all of this is you're trying to have all the stars align, So you've got your absolute best fitness of the year showing up at the right time. And also you're resting up just enough that you're fresh enough to perform well, but you're not going to be rusty and you're not going your engine's not going to cool off too much before the race. And things don't always line up perfectly. Um, in fact, more often than not, they don't line up perfectly, but at least if you try, you'll get closer
0: than if you don't try. And intentionality here matters, you know, like it is, it's such a shame to see somebody work really, really hard and put in a lot of effort if that effort's misguided. You know, like if you're going to make sacrifices to do this sport within time and money and, and, you know, like not dating people in high school and going to bed early and stuff and taking care of yourself, like you should do it in an intentional way so that you get the best results possible for your effort. So, like, this is something that I think, I just just kind of think it's like a pity when people don't think about it because you may as well, right? Like you could do X amount of work and get Y result, or you can do X amount of work and get Z result. You know, like is this, this is kind of that middle factor there where if you can intentionally, you know, kind of put your training in, in the right areas and, and do do the right things, I think you will have noticeably, better. like, this is something, this is not a marginal gain. We always say that this is a, this is like a, a marked gain you'll see in your performance or not just your performance, but like the number that you finish at.
1: And as always, we love it when we get questions or if there's anything that you need help with, let us know. Um, it's, the, it's really just a simple concept of you're just trying to shed some of your fatigue in order to have better freshness, but you got to do the right amount because if you cool the engine off too much, you're going to not have great legs that day. So it's just finding that perfect balance of, of fitness and freshness on the right day. Easy as that.
0: Is that all she wrote? I think so. All right. See you, folks.